house is clean, the beer is chilled, the music is loud, and there is a dance floor no matter how small. We're in our favorite fancy, but comfy clothes. The cafecito is hot and some spicy chaya is ready to be poured. We're Jamie and Hannah, and we're so happy you joined us. Welcome to This American Rice. This podcast is about convening around the table to enjoy food and build community, just like our ancestors have been doing for generations. Here we use all of our senses to embrace the intersections of culture and identity in all their messiness, reclaiming our experiences as nourishment to push back against the echoes of manifest destiny. We share stories, practices, lessons learned, and recipes. Even our simplest of pleasures is subversive. We're going to digest together, and you're going to leave with food and seeds to plant. Come, sit, eat, feast on your life. So we are here for another episode of This American Rice, and we have the pleasure of having Mike Sagoon be one of our co-conspirators and guests on this show. And I'm going to do a short introduction to let y'all know who this amazing human being is. <laughs> All right, here we go. So Mike Sagoon is the certified professional men's coach, facilitator, and teacher. His work is simple. He helps men feel. He has a degree in education, a coaching certification from Coactive Coaching Institute and Everyman. And he's currently in Peter Levine's somatic experiencing three-year professional training program. Mike facilitates every man's fundamentals program, a monthly virtual experimental intensive program that helps men develop emotional intelligence and every man's drop-in groups. And he leads men's retreats all over the United States. He's excited about a brand new retreat he's launching y'all in Mexico in February, 2023. So y'all got to look this up. This exclusive experience will be an opportunity for men to let go of energetic weight and reset their nervous systems. Mike lives in the iconic little town of San Miguel de Allende in Mexico with his husband and Pitbull Rescue. When he's not working with men, he's probably tending to his plants and garden, moving his body, watching the Golden State Warriors, or in the kitchen cooking up a meal. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on the show and um, getting ready to engage in this with us. And we can't wait to um, get into the interview with you today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for for having me. Thank you for that introduction. Um, I'm so, so happy to be here. Uh, Also, the fundamentals is not experimental. It's experiential. Experiential. (laughs) Can you imagine if we did like, this is experimental, y'all. We're just going to like experiment how to to feel here. It's experiential. It's experiential, y'all. Not experimental. Don't listen to me. Listen, it may be experimental for some people. It could be experimental for some people. That actually might be a good idea. That would be a good idea. Do you want me to re-record this? Should I re-record this? I think it's fine. This is the yeah. this is that rawness we talked about, right? That's right. <laughs> this is realness, right. y'all. Yes, and you know what, Mikey? I also just want to say thank you for doing the work that you do. Like this work is so so important for all of humanity. I wish that there were more people doing the work that you do. I'm so glad that you are doing it. Just how who I know you to be. I feel like what a blessing for men to be able to work with you what a blessing Mm -hmm. for everybody around them that Mm -hmm. they would choose to take this path take that journey with you so you're just amazing 
I think you're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank for you. Yeah, and thanks for letting giving me a platform to speak about it. Um, oh, yeah. I think we all have men in our lives or male identified folks in our lives. And this is um, this is work that it has been needed for a long time. And it's also work that is going to continue to impact um, I everyone. And I mean everyone. Like I work with male identified folks, but when I work with male identified folks, it ripples and impacts all parts of their lives, um, including their families and their friends and their colleagues and, and the world, their communities. <laughs> well, let's talk about this recipe. Yes. You want to tell us about it? Yes, I would love to tell you about golden milk. So the first time I had golden milk, I'm, sh I'm sure it's been around. I didn't actually look at the history of golden milk, but I'm, I'm imagining that there's turmeric, there's ginger, there's cinnamon in it. And so it probably comes from South Asia somewhere. Um, and um, I first had this, I, ha I first had my experience with golden milk here in Mexico, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, at this local coffee shop called Marmullo, and it reminds me of Oakland. And so I go often, it's like chic and it's cute and like pretty hip. And it has like all the alternative kinds of milks, you know, it has like everything for everyone. And so one day I just decided to, to grab a golden milk and y'all like, I fell in love. And, um, and so I just started to like make my own. And then I started to think about like, can I do this, but with protein powder? as like a post-workout or a pre-workout shake. Mm -hmm. uh, it's anti-inflammatory, like that's super great. It's really good for my gut. And it has like potassium with the bananas. So it's like rehydrating. And so one day I just put all the ingredients together, put two ban bananas in and I wanted more filler, put some oats in there, put my two scoops of vanilla protein, whirled it up, blended it. And Jerry and I screamed, we were, <laughs> Jerry's my husband. <laughs> Very nice cream because we couldn't believe how good it was. Uh, and so yeah. I've been obsessed with it. I've been obsessed with it since since that day I got it at Mamuyo. And sometimes I add different things to it. Like I add chia to it or like I add like pollen to it to kind of give it a, a little bit more of an earthy flavor, sweeter earthy flavor. Um, sometimes I do honey. Sometimes I don't do anything. Um, and it's just a really tasty filling shake. And it's really good for you. Yes, this is um, so... I will say that, you know, because I'm of Indian descent, I'm going to say that golden milk is Indian, but we'll also say that there's a lot of crossover in South Asian and East Asian cuisine and medicine and food medicine. Mm -hmm. um, but I know it as a classic Ayurvedic um, beverage. It was That's lovely putting together all the spices. I actually have, we have like these little, little cups or like these little bowls and I put each of the spices in each of the bowls just to take some pictures of it. And I called it a spice constellation and the Ooh. kitchen just smelled so good. Mm -hmm. And when uh, Jamie and I were talking about the, the recipe, I totally saw it as kapha balancing when we're talking about Ayurveda and mm -hmm. uh, just with the spiciness and the bitterness that is in it. But then there's also like this gentle sweetness in it as well. I was like, this is what I've been searching for um, mm -hmm. because I'm always in search of balancing kapha for myself. It, it, it makes my body feels good ingesting it. It just feels really good. I could I could really feel like how much lighter I feel after drinking it, and um, and I also really love it because the it could be a whole meal for me, mm -hmm. yeah. and it's like it feels like lunch for me, and um, and so it's just like a perfect like snack for me, or even like a, a post workout meal. You know, I'll also add that. Um... I actually toasted the spices before I put them in because mm -hmm. that's something that I usually do if I'm using spices. I usually cook them Delicious. to some extent to help release the mm -hmm. oils and it brings more of that like verdant green plant, uh, the, the plant's um, sort of essence back to the nose, you know? Oh, I'm doing that the next time for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, so good. So, yeah. all right. We have some real questions for you. The first thing we would like to do is 
Will you tell us a story about your name? Mm -hmm. Yes. One of the most common names in America, Michael. My full name is Michael James Sagun. And um, I was born in the 80s. And so in the 80s, there was Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, Michael J. Fox, Magic Johnson. And so there's all these NJs and specifically Michael J's. And my mom really loved the name Michael. And um, I think I think there may have been like a little bit of religious inspiration in that with Michael the Archangel, um, but it was mostly actually celebrity status. <laughs> so I was really named after Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, and Michael J. Fox. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I was named after a TV show character, also the Bionic <laughs> Woman. <laughs> James really? Summers. Mm -hmm. Really. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Well, you were born in the 80s too, right? I was. 80s, 80s? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy my name. I really love it. It's, uh, I feel like I'm a Mike, mm. right? Like I feel like I'm, and maybe everyone feels like this about their name, but I really feel like a Mike or like a Mikey. And, um, and my name, especially when people call me Mikey, I always know like, oh, we have history. Like we go back, yeah. And it like brings this nostalgia of, um, of me as a child and my family calling me Mikey, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So our next question is about your work in this world, your bonus, mm. your gifts, what you were put here to do. Do you know, do you feel like you know what your work in this world is? And if so, tell us about it. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think I knew my work was to help people at a really young age. I was, I was brought up in the church and um, I no longer practice any kind of religion but I took on a lot of values from being part of a church. And um, part of our, uh, like, I guess, vocation of sorts was to always be in service for people, right? And so as a young boy, I, I loved being of service for people. And so it was like either helping people in my church move or setting up for Bible study or fixing refreshments or cleaning up or vacuuming the space or whatever our community needed, I was always so um, eager to help. And I always knew that that would follow my life. And so when I was young, I thought I wanted to be a minister and that kind of shifted into um, education. And then education kind of shifted into um, while I was doing teaching artistry, and then now I'm a, I'm a coach. And so all through my life, the thread has been to be of service for people. Um, that's been like the common through line of all the things that I've done in my life. And so when I was um, I think in my late 20s, I hired a coach and I was going through a, um, I was going through a certification program with CTI. And my coach was like, what's your purpose? And I was like, I have no idea. And she's like, well, it's time to figure it out. And so weeks and weeks, I'm like hounding down on what my purpose is. And she's helping me. And I finally land on, um, I create safe spaces for men to think deeply about themselves and to live authentically. And the minute that I spoke those words out of my mouth, I knew exactly what I needed to do with my life and what I was put on this world to do. Um, there's a caveat though, which is, I don't believe that I have one purpose. I believe that I'm put on this earth for multiple purposes, for multiple journeys. And so my purpose right now is to be a coach and help men heal um, and also help men feel. But I don't know what that's going to look like in 10 years from now. And I'm on this journey to be open to what that next purpose is. Um, and so right now, my purpose is alive. It is me working one-on-one -on -one with guys. It's 
facilitating retreats of 60 plus guys. It's um, running programs and facilitating men's groups. And it's really holding space for guys to relearn what it means to be human and to really practice the human experience and to be okay and accept the human experience as it is without any judgment, without any analyzing or trying to focus on like, what is this about? But really just to honor that we have these sensations and feelings and emotions that um, is part of our experience on this world. And so it's important that we honor that experience. Um, and so, yeah, my, my, my work here is to help men heal right now, at least it's to help men heal. I get chills. Like with every sentence that you say, I'm getting chills because it's such powerful work that I don't know of many. I know you are doing the work and I imagine that there's others. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I hope that the, that folks who are ready to engage in this work can find you or like the right person because uh, to, to feel, to not be able to feel human, yeah. to not be connected to that, to emotions or the way in which I'm, I can only imagine because I'm not a, a male identifying person. Like I can't imagine what that, what that would be like for so long or an entire lifetime being yeah. told to disconnect and that disconnecting is natural. Oh, and it's also manly, like, right? Uh, like, like it, it is your purpose to be a man. And under these guidelines of being a man, it is you're the provider. You sacrifice yourself. You don't feel. You do it alone. And that is this archaic idea of manhood. And I think, and, and, I, and I believe, I truly believe that it's shifting today. We're, it's mm -hmm. 2022. And there are more and more men who are finding that the, the work that I do and the groups that I run are way more accessible for them. And they are um, more open to the idea of shifting their belief systems around what it means to be a quote unquote man. And I put these in quotes, right? Because what I really mean is like, we're just learning how to be human, right? We're just we have the capacity to feel all of these things and we feel them strongly and we can feel them strongly. And yet it is a, a human experience. It isn't, it isn't exclusive to female identified folks. It isn't exclusive to just one kind of person. It is, a, it is inclusive to everyone, everyone feels. And so um, when, when guys can relearn and I, oh, I keep saying relearn and this is important because We've been, we've been taught not to feel. And so we have to relearn how to feel. So when we relearn how to feel, we also re-engage with who we truly are at our core and our most authentic being, which is human. And, um, and you know, there's, if you look at the men's mental health statistics, it's, or we can look at those statistics and see that men are suffering a ton and men aren't sharing mm -hmm. men aren't opening up and um that is contributing to increases of depression anxiety um suicide um and also chronic pain and so wow. um yeah my work is here to help I, I all of those guys kind of just figure out like who you are right now is exactly where you need to be and who you need to be until you evolve into the next form of yourself. Absolutely. Ooh, such powerful work, life-changing, mm. vital work. So next question. All right. What do you know about your ancestral lineage? And maybe you could talk about like how that connection has developed, has developed. Um, and do you feel a connection with that or the multiple lineages that, that may be part of your ancestral history? Yeah, I think that's a really powerful question. Um, a lot of my history and, and also a lot of the history of Filipinos has been erased. And so even my parents don't quite know 
what their history was pre-colonization, right? They know what their history is in a colonized world and a post-colonized world. They don't quite know it. They don't know what, what happened, what their lives were like before then. And so um, my connection to my ancestry has, it's been, it feels like it is, uh, like I'm really curious about it. And I feel sad because I don't know a lot. I don't know enough about my lineage. I do know my father grew up in a village. He, my grandfather had a rice field and they made their living tending rice in the rice fields. Um, they, my father grew up while America had occupied, was, was occupying um, Philippines as one of the territories. And so my father grew up um, with soldiers everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, a militaristic uh, environment. He also, as he was going through puberty, um, the Americans were starting to leave the Philippines and we, the Filipinos, we were gaining our independence. And if you know a little bit about the last century of the Philippines, what's well, been pretty destructive. And so when you look at, you know, my, my father was there 50 years ago. And 50 years ago, there was martial law. My father almost got killed for having long hair. He almost got killed for staying out beyond curfew. Um, and so he, like many uh, Filipinos were trying their hardest to get over to the United States. And so my uncle joined the Navy and petitioned for my family to come over. But so it was a pretty scary time for my, my father because of um, all the restrictions that was going on. Um, and so, and it was also a time where my father was going through education and he was going to school and they were just like wiping out all the history, you know? And so he didn't know much about his own history. And so coming to America, like my mom's parents, he made it, he made sure that his children were American and that they were assimilated, that they didn't know the language, that this is now their home. And my father, I think it was part of safety, right? My, my father and my mom wanted me to blend in and so, um, and my mom grew up during the civil rights movement in America. And so for Filipinos mm -hmm. in America, it's like, okay, like we're also a minority here. It's a civil rights movement. Where do we side? Do we side with the white people or do we side with the black people, right? My mom's side, totally light skin, so it could almost be passing. Right. And so my mom never grew up with Tagalog or Ilocano, like the native languages. She never grew up knowing my grandparents, her father and mother's history, because they totally wiped it out. Right. And so growing up in America, I didn't have a Filipino history lesson. I, um, I didn't know my education didn't teach me anything about where I came from and neither did my parents. And so as I've gotten older, I think I'm, I am now in a place where I am really curious, but I also don't know where to find that information. It's been lost in our history. It's been, it's been wiped out of us basically. And so I think that I'm, I'm most tied to my ancestry with our food. It's like, that's the one thing in my culture that I know well, and that I am very, very connected to. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and like, you know, I, I think all of us have immigrant parents. Is that right? Mm -hmm. All of us have immigrant parents. Yeah. And I remember growing up with friends who were Vietnamese or Mexican and they were very immersed in their culture. They spoke Vietnamese, they spoke Latino, they spoke Spanish. And, um, and I always felt like, oh my God, like I don't know any of that. 
And I felt, I always felt a little left out because I didn't know my native tongue. Yeah, I share that experience with you, not knowing the native tongue and growing up that way. It was tough yeah. for me too. Yeah, yeah. What was tough for you? Um, I felt like an outsider everywhere. Um, I felt mm -hmm. like an outsider, of course, you know, um, my parents um, had me in private Catholic schools from elementary school through high school. And so I was always, you know, one of very few um, kids of color, um, particularly mm -hmm. in high school. Um, and one of, I mean, a scant handful of Indians, if there were even other Indians besides me and my siblings. Um, but, and then, so it, I was an outsider in all of the white spaces, but then yeah. also um, at Indian parties or, you know, when I became an Indian dancer, um, everybody knew the language. They knew their mother tongues. They usually knew some Hindi also. And all I had was English. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I know more Spanish than Malayalam. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so, yeah, that was tough. And, you know, also because my family was Catholic, it separated us from a lot of what the West sees as Indian culture. So mm -hmm. at some point, I just branded myself a bad Indian. I was like, I'm just not, no, no part of me is going to be what you're expecting from right. an Indian person. Right. And, you know, I think that's, that's a common experience for me, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, so my, my mom was born in America and like really identified as an American, really identified, and still does today identify as an American. And my dad is true and true Filipino. He's an immigrant. And he really identified with being a Filipino American, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so there's always for me growing up this conflict of who am I? Like my mom would say, you're American Filipino. And my dad would say, you're Filipino American. Yeah. And I grew up my first, the first eight, eight years of school up until eighth grade, I grew up in a mostly Latino and Asian community. I have, there was like two or three white people that I grew up with maybe maybe like two or three black people that were at my school and then in high school i moved to the east bay and it was 50 percent white and it was 50 percent white and like 30 percent black and i was like whoa this is crazy like i've never been I, I thought i lived in diversity and multiculturalism but like this was like way more multicultural for me and i remember in so my sophomore year my junior year like having conflict with my identity Right. Mm -hmm. Am I more now American Filipino or am I now Filipino American? And like mm -hmm. I started noticing who I would hang out with. Right. And I started hanging out with more white bodies. Mm -hmm. Right. And like and, and less brown bodies. And like and then also the music shifted for me. I started listening to alternative. So I listened to Blink-182. I started skating. I had skater shoes. And I started like just and, it, and for me, I think just like how my parents wanted me to assimilate for survival. I also noticed maybe that was a part of me trying to survive too. In this mostly white school, I don't want to be the outsider here. So I'm gonna participate in all the things that the majority does. And I'm gonna try my best to look like and talk like the majority because I want to fit in. And I remember that making me feel special. Like I remember feeling special because I had white friends. And I like think about that today in retrospect. I'm like, wow, that's, I was suffering. I was suffering with my identity. I didn't know who I was. And there's like all these intersections for me from, you know, Filipino, American, gay, religious, you know, and then athlete. There's like all of these things all that all of it. And back then it was like, you're not allowed to like be all these things at the same time. You know, I'd be in like, it like does not comprehend if you can be all of these things. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting, um, you know, thinking back to that time, I feel really sad for my young self um, because all he really wanted was just to say like, you could be whoever you want and you're gonna be okay. Like you're totally accepted no matter who you are or how you talk or what music you listen to. You can still listen to 90s hip hop and still be cool and hang out with everyone and still be liked, right? Like you don't have to listen to Blink-182 all the time. 
complicated though, especially at that age. Oh yeah. So much more complicated than, than I can even remember. You know, I remember, but I think I've blocked some of it out (laughs) for my own. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, well, I think that brings us really beautifully into our next question, which is what's something that you can point to that really sums up your experience of Mm. being this person at the intersection of all of these cultures and these different facets of yourself? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a Filipino American immigrant living in Mexico. And I, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, I think that like really describes my experience in all these intersections. Um, you know, like Filipino, American, gay, athlete, coach, adventurous, like foodie, all these like different intersections of my life kind of, it makes sense that I live in a different country and you know, that I am an immigrant in another country because that is my, that's my ancestry too. Um, And um, I think when I think about, I've I've been like really in touch with my father lately. We, he and I didn't have a a relationship growing up and um, we've been working on it and it's been really beautiful and so different and it's everything that I've wanted. Um, I couldn't name what that was when I was younger, but I do now. And so in many ways, me coming to another country where I don't know the language and I am trying to build and live a better life, it's in many ways a reflection of what my father did and what my grandparents did. They left everything that they knew to come and live a different life and maybe even a better life for themselves. Um, And so here I am at this like different intersection. I'm an immigrant in another country and um, I'm honoring my ancestry and I'm honoring my parents, I'm honoring my grandparents and I'm honoring my experience um, as a person that um, just really enjoys being at all these intersections. Uh, it plays so beautifully with the story so far. You know, when you were talking about how um, you don't get, you didn't get to know that much about your ancestral lineage. You know, a thought that was popping into my head was, you know, this is this is part of why oral tradition is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, having storytellers, having our elders tell stories, and when we're missing that too, we miss so much. And as you were talking now about your journey and the ways that it reflects back on your ancestors and what they did, you're rewriting these stories and you're healing your lineage, past, present, and future through just being your supremely authentic self. Yeah. 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 I love that. I just learned from my father that um, my grandfather was married before he married my grandmother. Oh. And my my grandfather, was, he's, he passed away 15 years ago, I think, 15 years ago. And no one in my family knows this, right? And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Like, he had another wife who passed away. I think she was young, they were young. They were like 19, they were married, passed away. And then my grandfather met my grandmother and then had seven kids. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, why wouldn't we know that in our family? You know, like, why, why wasn't that passed down to us? That's information that I would have loved to know. I also learned that my grandmother may have had a gay brother. And like, if I knew that at a young age, like how different would that have been? If, if the first time my dad brought me to the Philippines and he said, Hey, this is your grandfather and he's bakla or he's gay. Like, and that would have never happened at the time, but like, oh my God that would have shifted my entire uh, uh, identity and my own self-worth. Mm-hmm. And so I get to break the pattern of his oppression and I get to be who I am. And um, yeah, and I get to break that generational trauma of, of homophobia and all that hurt and pain 
I'm feeling like a little emotional because I'm picturing um, high school Mike mm. and baby Mike listening to you talk right now. Mm-hmm. To be able to, to sit with your authentic intersectional self, right? And mm-hmm. love on every facet of you with no question. Like that's... Mm-hmm. That's something just so powerful. And uh, I think as you're experiencing this and growing this, the men that you work with as a coach and that are at those retreats, I I mean, you can't help but feel it. I've I've done a lot of work with that 18-year-old, with that young man. Yeah, he was, he just wanted to be loved. He wanted to feel like he belonged and he wanted, um, he also was struggling and he needed to be held. He needed help. He needed people. And and luckily he did. You know, when I was 18, I did have um, Kevin Lassett and Melinda Lassett. And they were just, they're still in my life today. You know, they, they literally saved my life, you know, and. Um, but if I were to go and talk to that 18 year old self today, I would say, thank you because you are going through a lot right now and you're suffering a lot for the both of us and you're suffering because, and I know because I get to be who I am today. And so without all that suffering, I wouldn't be who I am today. (laughs) Right. And, um, and all of those parts, I would give all of those parts so much gratitude because Mm. man it was like it was a it was tough it was tough to be in that body at that time and um today I feel so in my body and so like myself and so authentic and so clear about who I am um that I just have so much gratitude for all those younger parts who did the work for me you know. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Oh yes. man. Yeah. And I think so far you've described yourself as a foodie. You mm-hmm. also talked about oh, yeah. being connected to your culture, mm-hmm. um, through the, to the Filipino culture through food. And now, um, we would love it if you could share a food story with us. So I thought fried chicken and meatloaf were Filipino foods. Because, because my mom would make American foods. Also, it's like Salisbury steak, right? Salisbury steak, chicken wings. Uh, she would make our hamburger patties. She would make all of these American staples and serve it with rice. Because you know, yeah. as Filipinos, we got to have everything with rice. And so growing up, I remember the, when I was in high school, the first time I saw someone bring meatloaf, I was like, what? I was in high school. What? Like, you got meatloaf? No way, dude. Like, how do you know what meatloaf is? And he's like this white dude. He's like, my mom makes meatloaf like once a month, like all the time. I'm like, no way. That's a Filipino food. He's like, no, it's it's not. Filipino food. That's not, he's like, that's not Filipino. He's like, no, dude, that's Filipino. I'm like, no. And so I realized that fried chicken, meatloaf, Salisbury steak, not Filipino. They're only Filipino because we served rice with it. <laughs> oh my God, I love, I love it. it. The reason but, you know, it's like, you know, like fuck us up and we don't even totally. know. Like, they don't know. For real, yeah. for real. Like, yeah. just, just, just put the rice with that, huh? You want rice? Yes, or you have fried chicken? Yo, yeah, yo. We would go to KFC. We would get all the fixings, right? We get the mashed potatoes, we get, we get the coleslaw, we get the gravy, we get the bucket of chicken, and then we would throw on three cups of rice. It's standard. It's standard. You cannot have KFC without rice. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so rice is so part of my DNA and my blood, and it's really hard for me to go a week without eating rice. You know, you know, there is like something really beautiful about being around the table with someone, right? 
maybe mm-hmm. and we talked yeah. about this in our in our pre-call but it's you know our ancestors sat around a fire cooked food and told their oral history they shared stories with each other yeah. and um around the dinner table is where there's a lot of connection and eating in front of someone is vulnerable right eating there and like having a a meal is vulnerable and sharing that vulnerable space with someone is is powerful and i think it's absolutely necessary for us humans to be you know i think mostly around the table or around something with other people eating together and being community that way yeah absolutely sure absolutely and it can look all different kinds of ways like right Mm -hmm. now we're all sharing a smoothie around a virtual table mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the virtual table mm-hmm. and we can't be close enough mm-hmm. well this leads into our next question really nicely too you know connecting around the table is a time-honored tradition and there's innumerable ways to connect so we're wondering what are your practices that are self-connecting or life-affirming or um, if you believe in you know, a higher spirituality, the universe, God, what are mm-hmm. the ways that you connect to what's important to you? Yeah, I think this is an important question. Um, it's important because I think so many of us are so disconnected from ourselves in capital S self our highest self um and we have so many distractions to keep us away from from that and so for me like all my embodiment practices are my my it it is my practice in reconnecting with myself and so embodiment practices like meditation or breath work and connecting to my breath and connecting to my body um connecting to movement in my body is important to me um and then also like practices of feeling my body is really important to me and so if we're looking at this from a somatic perspective um somatic basically it's just it just means the body in greek and so somatic approach or somatic approach to healing is a very much bottom up approach, which is connect to the body first. And then let's, if it's available, we'll analyze it and we'll try to understand it. But the first thing is connect to the body. And um, and this is important because it's so easy for us to disconnect from our body and we have to, right? We have to think with our heads. We have responsibilities. We have families to take care of. We have to plan, we have to organize. Um, we have to converse, we have to, do all of these things that take us, that makes us live up here. And it's important. However, I see so many guys completely live up here and don't pay attention to anything that's happening beneath, in their their hearts, in their bodies. Um, And so the embodiment practices by coming inward and just simply breathing and feeling the body is connecting to the self that is connecting to your vessel and your highest self capital s self this is this is what we are in 24 7 every single day of our lives we are in this body it is our primary vehicle to get us to places and to get the things that we want and need and also it is our primary vessel that helps us survive and right now here and so being tapped into that and feeling into it is um one of the forms i i believe one of the deepest forms of connection mm-hmm. and and i've been working with guys lately who are afraid of their bodies and i think we know a lot of guys that are like this who just you know like pain comes up and they're like oh, i'm gonna get i'm gonna ignore the pain i don't need to go to the hospital i'll need to address this and they mm-hmm. ignore it they ignore it and that's, that comes from a place of fear, right? The fear is what is this pain and what does it mean about me? And what does it mean? What, if I learn about what this pain is, I'm gonna have to change something. Mm-hmm. And one, we don't like change. And also we can ignore our pain. Men will ignore their pain 
and not ask for help. And so we tend to ignore the signals of our body. We're also, when we do that, we're also ignoring our intuition because our intuition is also part of our body. It's part of our feeling sense. And so our bodies deserve so much more attention and then mm-hmm. it, then we give it. Yeah, that's so real. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and when we don't connect with the self, we are disconnecting from our bodies. Oh yeah, and and so um, I think it's so important for all of us to connect to our bodies somehow and to feel. Um, it's part of our health, right? Like on like on the most superficial level, we know that when we're we know when we're hungry, right? Our bodies are telling us you're hungry. Growl, feel that. Okay, there might be some cramping now. Okay, cool. Like yeah, I'm really hungry, or I'm thirsty. My mouth is dry. Dry, right? But do you know when you're anxious, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you know when you're sad? Do you know when you're angry? Do you know when you feel joy? Your body has a response to it. And are you tapping into that? Are you allowing that, that the fullest expression of that and letting your body, body fully express that emotion? Because I also believe that even connecting to the anger and shame and sadness is also connecting to the self. I wanna, I wanna just add one more little question on here bringing yeah. it back to the self-connection part of your own experience. How do you know, how can you tell when you are connecting to yourself with the capital S? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like for you? It feels like I can feel the vibration in my body. I can also feel the earth below me and I can also feel the sun above me. It's, um, I feel this infinite connection and this is like, it, this sounds pretty abstract. So I'll, I'll clarify in, in more like in more details, but it feels like the energy that I get from the earth and the sun converse and hit me and I can feel the vibrations from that. And that is what it feels like connecting with myself. And that vibration might have different frequencies. They might have longer frequencies. They might have shorter frequencies. But it still feels like connection to myself. Mm-hmm. When I'm disconnected, I don't feel that vibration. I just, I'm up here. I'm up in my head. Mm-hmm. Also connecting to myself, I can feel my heartbeat. I can feel the heat and temperature on my skin. I can feel the moistness or dryness on my body. It is so simple just to connect to the self and and let those, whatever is there, be okay. Right now I'm feeling deeply connected with the two of you and it feels safe for me. And so I'm just, I feel this urge to just like share, share, share. But when I'm not in this place like this, I could feel closed off and my, my body will feel that. But I could also feel, um, I could feel different sensations, like maybe nervousness, maybe the vibration feels different. Maybe I feel pressure on my chest, right? And that is still connecting to myself. It's the noticing of it that's the connection. Mm. Yes, yeah. Mm. Perfect, yeah. Yeah, we ask this question because part of our intention with this podcast is helping people find their own way to these types of connections. Mm -hmm. And when you're just starting out and really even just all the way along the journey, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to recognize it. Sometimes what it feels like changes. And so thank you for sharing your experience of it because it might just, it might just hit a nerve with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'll say is like, your awareness in the present moment of yourself is connecting to yourself Mm -hmm. right so wherever you are whatever your present moment is whatever you feel in this present moment is a connection to yourself and it's okay whatever that is and as you reflect on that the other side of it are the barriers 
those things, whatever they may be, um, that keep us from that. What are some of the barriers that you've experienced in self-connection? Mm. Um, I have this part. I, I talk about parts a lot. So if you're unfamiliar with parts, it's from this modality of therapy called Internal Family Systems by Dick Schwartz. <clears throat> it's a really beautiful modality of therapy. Um, and basically the, the, what, what they, they theorize is or what they're, they're um, the practice is about is that we all have different personalities and these all these different personalities come out in different environments right <clears throat> so I have this part and he's called Showtime Mike and he's um he's a performer and he loves the attention and he loves being on stage and he loves like being charismatic and he loves just um he loves putting on a show but what that also does is it also disconnects him from um, what's really happening inside. Showtime Mike comes out when everything wants to be fine, but there's turmoil inside of me. When I'm feeling stressed, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, and I can't ask for help because I'm afraid of asking for help, Showtime Mike comes out. Hey, I'm here, and everything's good. Everything is fine. It's totally fine. I can do this by myself. I could do this one-man show. The spotlight is on me. I'm going to do it. And it, and when Showtime Mike comes out, I know that I need to slow down. I also need to ask for help. I need to talk to someone. Um, and, and it might also quite literally mean I need help with something. Like I need help with uh, brainstorming this idea or I need help booking this thing or I need help facilitating this experience. Um, and so those are just basically one of the many ways that my ego can come in and protect me from feeling pain or hurt. And the IFS, basically these parts, there's nothing wrong with them. We've developed them to pr protect ourselves. Right? And so this Showtime Mike has come up because he wanted to protect himself from looking weak or looking like he didn't have his stuff together for his parents. You know, when I was growing up, I really took care of my parents. I was like a very, I was the emotional support for my mom. And so um, Showtime Mike came up and he's like, cool, I'm fine, mom. Like lean on me. It's all good. We're cool. Mm -hmm. And it carries, and it's, it, you know, he comes up today. And so, and so these parts are also sometimes really young, right? And so Showtime Mike is seven or eight years old. Mm -hmm. right? And then he got stronger when he got into theater and he was still going through some stuff. Wow. Right. And then he got stronger as he was trying to like I, I, he was uh, exploring his identity as a gay man, um, you know, and he comes out today when I'm feeling stressed and I'm feeling overwhelmed. And it's just it, it, and he just comes up because he wants to make sure I'm safe, he wants to make sure that I'm OK. Mm -hmm. And there are times where it's appropriate where our Showtime Mike can come on and be like, OK, cool, like, let's get it done. Right. Stressed out at a retreat. There's 60 guys looking at me and something just fell through the cracks. Showtime Mike, I'm right here. Show must go on, right? Great, it works well. Appropriate situation for that, right? I'm at home and I've been isolated here at home working by myself and stress is just coming because I have so much on my plate. And all of a sudden Showtime Mike comes in when Jerry comes in my door and goes, hey, what's going on? Like I could feel that you're, something's off. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Leave me alone, I'm okay. That's where it becomes destructive, mm. right? And so those are he, that's like one of the parts that can get in a way of me really connecting with myself. Because what he, what Showtime Mike really wants is the spotlight, but also to be like, yo, dude, like you don't always need to be on a spotlight. You could, you don't always have to have your shit together. Like you don't, you don't always have to have the answers. It's cool, right? Like you also don't always have to be the leader, right? You could all, also follow. It's okay. That's cool. And you can also step stage left and you're good. Like go backstage for a little bit, go into the green room, take a rest, chill out. It's not your scene right now. Chill the fuck out, you know? Um, and so, yeah, yeah. That's just one of, one of the, one of the parts, one of the characters. <laughs> oh, thank you for that breakdown or for sharing that. Yeah. That's so powerful. That's such a powerful way to look at it. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, if you are curious about this work, it's really fascinating, but you know, Showtime Mike is seven years old. And so it's like, when I look at that seven-year-old boy, I'm like, shoot, man, like he was just trying to take care of mom. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, he, he wanted to be a kid. He wanted to be a child. He wanted, he wanted to go play. He didn't, he didn't want to have to be his mom's confidant, but he was. Yeah. Mm. And so I get the opportunity to hold him and give him what my, what mom never really gave him. Mm-hmm. And I get to take him in and say, cool, man, like you could lean on me and you could be a kid with me. And he comes out and he like wants to play and he wants to, and sometimes that means like, I want to be on stage. I want to be in front of everyone. And that's cool. Like we'll let him shine that way. And sometimes he just wants to be backstage and chill out and joke around and play theater games. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. And we'll put a link to IFS. I actually have done some IFS too <gasps> in therapy yeah. and it was, I mean, it was a game changer. It's um, mm-hmm. a little tough to find uh, a practitioner with what mm-hmm. I've got going on um, again, but uh, wow. Like the way yeah. that it breaks down um, the parts of the self is for, I think for, at least for people like you and I, and probably I would think a lot of people who um, tend towards the theater or storytelling, um, I think it could be really helpful. So anyways, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of it. Like this is something that's completely new to me. And through this conversation, I've identified corporate HANA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and a couple other things. I'm like, oh shit. All right. So I will definitely um love some some other resources on this topic. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing this knowledge and really some some tools to look into for when others are experiencing these barriers or conflicts or obstacles related to self-connection. Yeah. Thank you. Can I say one more thing? Please. Yeah. We, we will always be insecure. It's just part of who we are. You're not, you're not weak. You're not uh, any other kind of derogatory, self-deprecating expression to call yourself. Like you're none of that. You're normal for being insecure. What separates people is their mindset around their insecurity. And it's not a brown shaming the insecurity it's about acknowledging the insecurity is there and befriending the insecurity it's about saying oh cool there's that insecurity again come on in let me get to know you and develop a relationship with you mm-hmm. and the thing about insecurities or what in cti we call them saboteurs is that they're going to evolve they're going to change with you and they're going to grow with you but this is also why connecting knowing what it feels like to connect with yourself is so important because when you know how to connect with yourself and that insecurity comes in, you can reconnect with yourself and be like, oh, that's just that insecurity. Let me come back to what I know is true about me. And your capital S self is always the truth. It's always the highest form of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And as you you say that, Mike, (laughs) thank you. Because I remember, um, I don't know if this was like a year ago. I have, I have no concept of time, but I remember I was talking to Jamie and I was like, really trying to better understand what shadow works, look, shadow work looks like. And really trying to, like, I was finding a lot of darkness and shadow in me related to my insecurities and thing. And just all of those parts of me that I don't always want to share. And I remember using certain language with Jamie and I was like, you know, I'm just like really trying to overcome my, like the shadow sides of me. Mm. And I'm I like, I want to fight this. Like, I want to like, almost like I was going to battle with them. Right. And I think it's like a very capitalistic colonialized approach to take. Mm. Like, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to overcome this. Like, I'm going to dominate it and I'm going to win. And I remember Jamie, I can't remember the exact words that you used. And you're just like, what if you cuddle it instead? <laughs> like, what if you? Yes, yes, yes. And um, <sighs> at first I wanted to fight that, like in my head, I was like, mm-hmm. fuck that. Like, no, like, how do you do that? And then 
now, like reflecting back on that conversation and thinking about it in those ways of inviting, snuggling and loving on those parts of yourself that are always going to be there. We're never going to check them off a list. Like they are always going to be parts of us and to love that darkness, to love those insecurities and say, I accept you and I will love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different way um, that I've never even understood how I can demonstrate love to myself in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it takes practice because I still fight my, like, I can still feel it sometimes in parts of myself where I'm like, no, like I gotta fight, like I gotta get over this. And it's like, no, just, just cuddle with it for a little bit. Just yeah. love on it. Just yeah. Love well, on I mean, it. It's like, you can ask it like, or you ask yourself, like, what am I fighting for? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, 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 it just, it's, it's so much <sighs> easier it takes up less energy to cuddle than it does to fight, right? Mm-hmm. Cuddling, we're just snuggling, we're laying there, we're relaxed, we're open, we're connected. Yeah. And anger at something is very much like, oh, force, 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 so much energy. Yeah. Mm. And it can be scary to cuddle up with those emotions. Mm-hmm. And I just want to acknowledge that you know, dominant culture really helps to um, make us think that we need to be far, far away from those emotions. Yep. Because it doesn't serve dominant culture. It doesn't mm-hmm. serve white supremacy. It doesn't mm-hmm. serve colonialism. And mm-hmm. that's why we have to keep doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Let's move on to our next, our next question here. This is going to pull pull some of this discussion together here for us, Mikey. Um, what has your experience with your lineage, your community, your food, your self-affirming practices, what has your experience with this smorgasbord of, of yourself, what has it taught you? Mm. acceptance comes up like accepting that I'm gonna be okay mm-hmm. and everything's gonna be okay and there's this acceptance of um, I've had such a rich life and there's acceptance in that I don't know what's ahead of me but I'm accepting it and it's okay and I'm going to be okay. Um, I think for me, acceptance is a big value of mine. Um, I, I want to try to control as much as I can. And it gets in the way of me being a productive human being sometimes. But accepting that it's okay to let go and accepting that where I am and who I am right now is just enough that's my biggest life lesson. That's what, that's what like the last 35 years has, has taught me, which is right now in this moment, I'm enough. And what do you think your life would have been like if you were more connected to your ancestors or your personal power from the very beginning? Um, Safety, I would have felt more safe. I would have felt more safe at family parties. I would have felt more safe within my own nuclear family dynamic. I would have felt more safe um, in my community. I would have felt more safe in high school. I think safety. If I knew my ancestry and I knew what my ancestors did for us and the things they sacrificed and the lives that were lost. If I knew the story of my grandparents and what it took for them to raise a bunch of kids in the Philippines and then see, and, and, and if I knew what it was like for them to live through Spanish colonization and then also Japanese colonization and then also American colonization, right? If I knew that story, um, 
I would, I think inevitably would have been felt more connected with myself. Because that is part of who I am. Their, his, their history is part of who I am. And, um, and I think I would have also had way, like I would have wanted to honor my grandparents more. Mm. Um, I think the, the way that I grieved them was a very American way of grieving, which is like, okay, cool. Like, let's go celebrate their life and then it's going to do this thing. And then I okay, cool, done. <laughs> Whereas like, um, you know, here in Mexico, Mexicans are so, so deeply involved with the funeral process and the celebration of life. And like, if I had an experience like that, where we celebrated my grandparents' life like that, where it's like the whole town's marching down the road where everyone's you know grieving together or we're singing or whatever it is or we're going to the burial site i think that would have that would have helped me connect more deeply with um, where i come from well here comes our last question um what kind of elder or ancestor do you want to be mm -hmm. I can't take this, I can't take credit for this. This comes from Chip Conley, who was, um, he it used to be the like hospitality manager for Airbnb. And, um, and he has this retreat called the modern elder. He, he considers himself the modern elder. Mm -hmm. And I heard him once say, I am the modern elder. And what that means is I impart wisdom to people, but part of, me imparting wisdom is also receiving wisdom from the younger generations, from younger people. And so it's not just about speaking, it's also about what listening and what's happening and what's evolving and what's changing in front of us. So for me, it's, it is, I wanna be that modern elder where I can have, so I, can, I, could, I could pull from the archives of experience from my life, but I can also say, wow, that's a completely different perspective. Let me hear it. And I want to honor that perspective. And you have a completely different life and you come from a different generation. And I want to honor what you have to teach me. I want to be a teacher, but I also want to be a student. And I think that's the kind of elder that I want to be. Mm. Well, that's all of our questions. Thank Yay. you so much. Thank you so much for sharing this, this space, this energy with us. What a joy. Thank you for inviting me. It's been an honor. Mm. Thank you for all that you're doing and will continue to do. And this has been just a great time to spend with you. Such a just transformative work. Thank you for spending time with us. We hope you feel called to keep the conversation going with the people in your life. And we'd love to stay connected with you too. Head to our website, TharavadaYoga.com to find more info on this episode and to let us hear what you have to say. And check out our other offerings to foster nourishing community, wellness, and self-sovereignty. Take good care. Much love.